The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast, powered by ASICS. I'm Brent McKay. We've survived the hectic first weekend of the 2023 Rugby World Cup. There's been some really interesting results and performances and pools are apparently now fine to record a podcast from. Your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. So great to have Rugby World Cup winner Tendai Beast Matarawira last week. Um, it felt like the perfect way to launch into the tournament. Um, and maybe he did see a bit more in the Wallabies than the average Australian fan had at that point. But joining me this and every week, the co-host of the new number one rugby podcast in Switzerland, he may or may not be coming to us from a pool in France somewhere again. Harry Jones, bonjour. Bonjour, how's it? I am actually high above the hills of Marseille, looking on the old ports. Behind me is a, a portrait of a, another famous victory in Marseille. Uh, and I will say this, at the games in the Marseille Velodrome, they have a kiss cam, but it's called the French kiss cam. And much like with French fries, there's no need to say French fries where you're in France because you just say frites. No. And, and I learned that frites were actually developed in Belgium, but they were originally thought that they were toxic. Because who wouldn't think this moundy, grubby thing from the earth was toxic? <laughs> so they were throwing it in the hot oil, the Belgians were, to mm. then give it to the cows to eat. And then they were like, wow, these cows seem happy. So then they stole some of those uh, fried bits of potato. And then that became the worldwide phenomenon of frites. Right. Uh, and on the French cam, they delighted in showing two big boors, two Afrikaners together, arms and arm, and making them French kiss for the crowd, which, <laughs> for the, to their credit, hey, we're all enlightened now. They all did. Well played. Beards and beards on beards, Velcro time. It was an amazing But the crowd did boo when they had a mother and a son on, and the, and the son pushed the mother away and said, No, 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 thanks. <laughs> <laughs> beard on beard, Velcro might just be the early clubhouse leader for the pod title for the record. Uh, powered by Asics, the Raw does have in place a wonderful partnership with Asics, the official performance apparel and footwear supplier for the Wallabies. And the wonderful Wallabies 2023 Rugby World Cup playing jersey and the whole training kit ensemble is available to purchase in-store and online at asics.com.au. Now, hit me with a hero, my French friend. My hero is a man, a Scottish man from the, from the town of Perth, just across uh, Hadrian's Wall, not Perth, Australia. Mm -hmm. And... Um, when I had finished scrumming, an older gentleman from France who then brought all of his friends, let me scrummed against them too. So I had a real scrum in the street. You had a genuine eight on eight scrum, didn't you? It was one versus five. And okay. uh, I was a little bit insulted that they thought I was a prop. And then all these guys <laughs> were from Free State, literally, like they were, they were pretending to be Angus Gardner, friend of the pod. And they were giving us, you know, like, no, nah, the bind was right, wrong. And so we did this. And so we're getting a picture afterwards with this French uh, guy. And suddenly, the Scottish guy from Perth runs up, pulls his kilt up, and exposes his bare arse for the crowd, which which had a huge ovation. And uh, that was also that was also the seriousness which which with which the Scottish took the game. Unfortunately for them, because yes. three three points after four years of preparation is not good. No, they kind of had a few bare asses handed to them, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well played, yeah. sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, a zero for you. I've got three zeros for you. Number one, 
Twitter for not recording our first space post France and New Zealand on Boo. whatever day that was. That didn't work. That wasn't great. Uh, number two, Italy for ruining an otherwise beautiful white jersey with names. Fiji did it as well. Come on. England did it, but we didn't like their jersey anyway. And you got to have a big jersey to put Fijian names on it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> It's quite true. It's quite true. And the third one was actually the Rugby World Cup site, who for a good chunk of Sunday, uh, Australian time that is, were displaying the wrong score for the for Australia Georgia. They had it as thirty seven uh, fifteen, not th- not thirty five fifteen. After somehow inserting a second Ben Donaldson conversion in the eleven minutes, they actually had two listed there in the. In the match pack, but it was resolved and everything's all fine again. So to be to be fair, the one official raised his flag and the other one didn't. It was the first time I've ever seen that. <laughs> That's true. And no, I, I have I seen that even, before. I don't even know how they resolved it. Do they just? No, I have away? seen that before. I believe the referee has the deciding vote. I think that's how they come to it. But anyway, Makes looking forward to this week's guest, mate. An, an ideal guest to have on in the run-up to Australia and Fiji next Monday morning Australian time and someone who's perhaps even busier than us each weekend through the tournament. The Raw Rugby Podcast. Back to the pods, Sydney Studios we go, where we welcome back onto the podcast another star of the Nine Network and the Stan Sport Rugby World Cup coverage. She's been unveiled as well as part of Nine's team for the Paris Olympics next year. Please welcome back Wallaroos and Waratahs lock, Sarah Nagama. Yes! <laughs> hey, fellas, it feels good to be back here. It doesn't feel like oh, too long here. Look, the natural thing have you up. What the hell? How good? Yeah, where's the last year and a bit gone, says? It's flying. Well, like I say, time goes by fast when you're having fun. So maybe we're just having a shitload of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me, how much sleep did you get over the weekend? Oh, More than me? Mate. Not much. Not no. much. Um, <laughs> no. Look, you know, all I keep telling myself is it's tough, right? Because we're battling with the Northern Hemisphere time zone. But yeah. you wait. When the World Cup comes here, they're going to be having a fat chunk of our time zone. So exactly. the role will reverse. Yeah. A little bit of sacrifice, yeah. and then we'll be on the right side of time again. So it's tough, but, like, what a privilege, yeah. though, to be on World Cup coverage. We need to start campaigning between now and then to get six, seven teams in every pool. So the pool stages go for three months, and those suckers need to stay up till all hours of the morning for months. Yes, for all the spring end. tours, for all the spring tours yes. that we up early for, exactly. for the World Cup. Who you plays know, Six Nations games at 2 a.m.? That's ridiculous. Yeah, we'll get them back. Uh, we'll get them back. We yeah. are still asking the same question each week to kick things off. What stood out for you on a fantastic opening weekend of the Rugby World Cup? God, it's really hard to pinpoint a thing, but the biggest one for me was the All Blacks upset. There was so yeah. much chat surrounding that squad on the back of their biggest ever defeat against the Springboks and everyone was saying, you know, don't count them out. And I'm still not counting them out, but I did think no. that they were going to bounce back quite strongly. I personally was tipping France. I just thought their prep, the fact that they're playing in front of a home crowd, they're the mm. host nation, they were going to rise to the occasion and they did. So it was weird to see the All Blacks not respond in the manner that we all expected them to. Yeah, yeah. Were you on studio duty for that game? Like, what were you guys saying amongst yourselves? Yes, I was on the, the opener. Yeah. It was really cool because Michael Hooper was joining our, or he has joined he our commentary on coverage, which was cool. I'm going to come back to um, that. <laughs> yes, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but, no, he, he certainly was tipping the All Blacks because him and I were paired together. Mm. Um, and I was tipping France. And, I mean, a lot of chat was around the fact that the All Blacks, they know how to perform and in – 
the French's story is they're always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah. In, in previous World Cups. So everyone was just kind of banking on the fact that the All Blacks will deliver. They know how to do this. Um, and the usual storylines that surround the All Blacks, they're a world-class side. They've won the World Cup three times. Why can't they do it again? But mm. I just thought it's just such a different run-up for them. And as we've yeah. seen most recently World Rugby, the Giants are being slayed. The historic win um, between Fiji and um, England. Mm. And then you think about Samoa coming in a hairline of Ireland. Like the narrative's changing. So I think that those that we've always had in, held in such high regard are being really challenged by teams that have ranked mm. And them in in years gone by. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the hunters are becoming the hunted again. Harry, what stood out for you on a weekend? And please tell me it wasn't recording a podcast from a pool in Lyon. <laughs> <laughs> no, guys, down. guys, uh, sleep is for wankers, as we know. Uh, so it's, it's time <laughs> to stay awake for six weeks. Um, Sarah, I, I am going to have to talk to you how you manage, you know, I've got a huge entourage and the makeup artist, the photographer, the paparazzi, uh, the, masseuse, the masseuse. But uh, yeah, it's been stressful keeping them all engaged and on, on schedule. But what stood out for me was kicking is king at this cup. This is the cup mm. of kicking 44 times by the French, but it was sexy because it was the French. If it was the box, it would be bad. Uh, 43 <laughs> times for England, 40 times for the Aussies. Winning rugby. Uh, I, I actually ran into Greg Laidlaw, your alter ego, and um, <laughs> and I spent 45 minutes with him dissecting things over four cappuccinos. We were so jumpy by the end. Um, but, but Laidlaw said uh, that the Scottish should have kicked more. Number one thing is that they should have kicked more because right. trying to launch trying to launch attacks against the Springboks is a fool's errand from your own half. Yeah. You never get quick ball. You have to generate it from a spilled ball or... Uh, aerials, but it just going ruck to ruck to ruck. Uh, and you look at the numbers of rucks. Uh, the French only built 60. The New Zealand All Blacks only built 60. Mm. Uh, the Springboks won with 55 rucks. Uh, so Eddie was Austra always Australia only, Australia only attempted 80-odd tackles. And Eddie was always wow. right about that one issue, which is you don't do ruck building now. It's ruck destroying. But here's where he was wrong, or maybe he didn't know his team well enough. The French were penalized four times. The box were penalized seven times. If you can get your penalties down, then that works. Otherwise, you're playing without the ball for too long. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. My, you know, you know, what I love the one of the biggest things I love this weekend was maybe in the biggest mis mismatch of all the weekend's games, it was that Romania scored first against Ireland. That was just, <laughs> and, and it was a great try. Like they got. Spilt ball, open space, ran away, yep. scored. And for the first 10 minutes, Ireland were like, what the bloody hell's just happened? <laughs> like there was, yeah. a, there was even a little bit of panic amongst them, Sarah. You would have seen it, I'm sure. Just like, we've got to get back into this, right? And it was they got thumped, Romania. Let's, let's, let's not call it what it wasn't. But in that moment, they were giant killers. And that was so cool. That's one of the things that we love about the pool stage. Yeah, I think it's like adding to that, Brett, I think that's essentially what's going to be the difference is, to your point, Harry, like the kicking game is going to be so essential as we've seen in this opening weekend. But more so than that, like the teams who can stay for the 80 minutes, like those boys, when you watch all of those games, they're drenched in sweat. No one's yes. hiding from the fact that the conditions are stinking hot. Yeah. So then you add like the conditions, you add in like the mental stress and then the pressure of trying to perform because you know that every single game matters. 
like being in it for the 80 minutes is going to be so crucial. And there's going to be the difference essentially when we get to the pointy end of the tournament. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Wallaby Gold was looking a lot closer to burnt orange by the time it was soaked <laughs> in sweat. It was just, it's a different colour completely. Says you had you had Michael Hooper, you had Matt Rogers, you had Stephen Hoyles all in the studio for the Wallabies win over Georgia. What was the, was it relief for, for those guys and for, and for you all as it became apparent, much much like us on for our Instant Reaction podcast, that you were actually going to be able to talk after an Australian win? 100%. I think, like, just touching on that first part, to be able to share, like, this coverage journey, yeah, which is my first cool. journey with these guys, is ridiculously special to me. Like, these are the game, these are the blokes that were at the top of their game when they were playing. Yeah. Like, even Michael Cooper, right? Shock exclusion for us this year. But... Um, Coming in, particularly on Sunday morning, there was just so much belief between us that Australia were going to get the job done. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so heartening because in years gone by, or even just this season really, right, like a lot of people have ridden the Wallabies off. But it's so cool to see blokes who have played in the jersey backing the boys now when everyone else is throwing them under the bus. Mm. And I think that's like it's, it's just like really promising, right? Like while the public narrative is, oh, can the Wallabies do it, boys that have played for the Wallabies are like, back them they can do yeah. it and i think that's like the strongest thing that we can do right now for our boys while they're out there trying to battle it out for a world cup title yeah and this was harry the the absolute gem of of nine and, and stan having michael hooper in studio was that he was talking from you know not not just i played for the wallabies this is how it used to be but from things that were going on two weeks ago like the the, yeah. the recency of his uh of his experience experience obviously and his insight just added to it so much more and it was like he he was wrapped post-match he was absolutely wrapped and, and really really happy for the guys because he knew how hard they'd worked so that yeah, the relief across the board would have been would have been so so good you never know it's just like playing uh recognizing playing talent and you, you don't know if ben donaldson or Carter gordon or somebody's yeah. going to perform on the high stage i think commentating is similar to that in that you don't, like, no one really expected Skulk Berger to be such a good commentator on uh, South African Airways. Uh, sometimes the greatest players, you know, they show up on BBC and they're kind of duds. And then the journeyman, um, I forget his name now, so I don't want to call him a journeyman, but he, uh, <laughs> but they, they just come alive. And so for me, Michael Hooper was always under wraps. He always had to be the good mm. captain, the, you know, the, the, the school prefect. Um, he had to have the straw hat on and the blazer. And then now I think he can really tell you what's going on underneath. And he was always such a bright, burning player. I always thought, wondered, where does this guy get all of his fire from? He's undersized. Yeah. He's a Quaha Smith type, you know, running around like mm -hmm. crazy, you know, I mean, higher, I mean, world-class. But uh, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing him. And on the Wallabies, all you got to do is get on a run, right? It's, it's when you break it down, it's just That's winning it. a couple of games against people yeah. you should win. And then it's getting hot. Uh, look at England. Would you say England's out of it right now? No, you wouldn't. You'd say they know they how to play the Leicester, Leicester Tigers. Yeah. Drop goals, let's win, baby. Yeah, yeah, no, they're absolutely in the box seat now. What, what Sarah jumped out for you from that Wallabies performance? What did you, what did you look look at, and what did you see? And you just go, wow, they have absolutely nailed that tonight. I think the forwards, particularly for me, they were they remained unchanged from their previous Test match, which I thought was the best thing that they could have done was just to keep consistency. Mm -hmm consistency, sorry, in that pack, knowing that the Georgians are so formidable in that space. Taniela Tupo, on his day, fair to say, he was he had his day. 
50th yes. test match, you know, yeah. in broken play, makes a dart down the field. But it was like at scrum time, he owned it. Him, yeah. Parecki and Angus Bill, they absolutely owned it. I thought that their, their set piece had improved a, a little bit since the, the game against France, particularly their lineouts, and they executed. And what was the best thing was like in a, in a water break, you could see Will Skelton like just – like going in at the boys, like F and do your job, right? Do your effing jobs, yes. Do your yes. effing job. And like, you know, they're, they're, they're harsh words, but like it, he's like set an assignment, right, to his pack yeah. being like the only way we can unleash our boys is if we win this battle up front and up the guts. And I think they did that so well. Yeah. And as a yeah. result of that, we saw our backs light up. And while there's a lot of question around our back line, when we are on, we are on. Like we're mm. one of the best backlines. Like I believe that heart and soul. When we are on, we are one of the finest backlines. But that can only happen if our forwards own it. And I thought they were great. Like you've got Arnold, you've got Skelton. But like I don't know how many carries he had. It was Alice, but I felt like mm. every third phase he was in it. And then you've got the back three of Valentini, Hooper, as well as McWright. And they're just workhorses, right? Like their work to yeah. us didn't necessarily stand out. Like there wasn't like, whoa, he had like this mad break, whatever. But it just goes to show that everyone did their job. Like there was yeah. nothing whoa about it. They owned their set pace. The forwards individually, they just did their job. And as a result of that, we come out with a well-rounded performance and the Wallabies have caught yeah. the first win of the year. What I thought was interesting, Harry, was that um, early on where it was like Angus Bell was fantastic from the start. Jordan Pattaya was fantastic from the start. Um, yeah, ben Donaldson hit the ground running, literally. But as the game went on, you started noticing more players. All of a sudden, Fraser McWright's getting over the ball. All of a sudden, Tom Hooper was making good metres out, out on the edge um, and carrying strongly. Um, you know, you were seeing Richie Arnold stealing line-outs. Um, you know, Mark Noinitawazi was fantastic the whole way through. So, as like, you started noticing more players, and, and we spoke after in the instant reaction about this being certainly the closest they've got to producing an 80-minute game this year. So, the way that they were able to build into it and then play with confidence and keep going was... It's, it's got to be huge for them going forward, you would think. I think it was necessary. I think it was a workmanlike yes. performance. It was Georgia, let's remind ourselves. But they had no other uh, standard to test themselves against. So I think Georgia has a proper pack. And as Sarah exactly says right, uh, the Wallaby back line is top four in the world. It's the pack that always determines whether the Wallabies can give that top four back, uh, back line its, uh, its ball. And I think you look then and see, I think, and I think I know Eddie Jones to know that he's not a guy who, who will drink the Kool-Aid. I think he's going to say, hey, we still missed some lineouts. Or he's going to say mm. uh, the length on that kick wasn't uh, quite right. Or um, I think they're going to work around Carter Gordon and say, we have to get you to see yeah. the play better because sometimes there were squander, they squandered opportunities. It should have been 50. Let's just say that. And yeah. I think Eddie will come in and say, we should have got 50, right? But mm. isn't that a lot better than coming in and saying... Yeah, we squeaked by. We, we could have won wheels. that. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. yeah. So I think it's a building block. And I think it's, um, I think, you know, at least 10 of those players, you know, we would say stocks rises. I think maybe a couple were sort of even. And then you'd have a couple uh, work-ons and say, yeah. hey, my brother, let's sit down and, and talk about how we exploit uh, split, mm. space a little bit better because we have to finish those. And second, there's still the Georgians scored and that shouldn't have happened. You know, like the box can yeah. keep Scotland to three we want to keep Georgia to three for the Wallabies. I think that's the big uh, problem is Wales looks like they can finish and Fiji looks like they can finish uh, breaks. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's... yeah. And, and George did score a late try, which I, which I mistakenly thought 
took the bonus point away, not realizing um, to the yeah. to the point that I had to actually edit a section out of the instant reaction that, uh, <laughs> that we where we talked about losing the pod, losing the bonus point. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize that we were back to the old uh, the old four try bonus point system. So good that they held the bonus point. They certainly would be concerned. Uh, I think for you to you both that they would be concerned with the way that Georgia were able to exploit them on the outside edge. That would have yep. to be a work on this year. And and again, something we've spoken about, the defensive positioning out wide has been a problem yes. all year. Yes. And so yes. is that, are you, you guys are seeing and talking about that in the studio as well, Sarah? I think, I mean, quite truthfully, we weren't talking about um, being worried about the def- like the edges, defending on the edges. Yeah. I think for us it was like how do we replicate that same defensive, oh, like that same effort in the first half in the second yep. half? And the truth is yes. in the first half Australia dominated possession. Like they genuinely starved the Georgians off the ball. What changed in the second half, particularly that first 15, was that the Georgians were able to clear up the discipline. Like they weren't going in for free at the rucks not knowing if they were yeah. going to get the ball. Like they were making sure decisions at the ruck to ensure that they could keep the ball. So yeah. I think for... I think for um, the Aussies, what they will be thinking about is how do we how do we keep the foot on the throat for the full eighty? Because those those tries that were scored by the Georgians late was off the back of broken play. Let's be yes. honest. By that point, there are tired bodies. Like it's not the same on being able to just set your line speed and moving up as as a whole pack, right? It's like well, we we changed. We put we pretty much exhausted our whole bench by that point. So they're coming on with fresh legs. But how do we keep that intensity the same? Yeah, so, yeah. again, so I kind of answer your question in summary. We weren't necessarily concerned about the defence on the edges. It's just more so about replicating that same level of detail and execution in the second half when you're trying yeah. to close a game. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a really good point. And even, you know, one of the moments of the game, Tanya Tupo running running downfield in free space came from a turnover from a, from a Georgian line break and, 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 and turnover counterattack so how, uh, how good is yeah. how good is he in open space he he never seems flustered as a prop he, he's, he's so fast <laughs> i was gonna say that i would love the you know what the 10 20 meter speed is like and where that ranks in the rest of the team because he's he has to be up there he's very quick over but, short distance. but he's, he's also looking around and he actually delivered a really good try assist yeah, 100%. And, like, yeah, yeah. speaking as a forward, if I'm making a break, I'm like, well, if I get touched, I'm going down and you guys are going to set a ruck. <laughs> like, but that was, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, that's like kind of the difference between the X Factor players, right, is they know how to keep the ball alive, find space when there has defenders, but like big yeah. body. I actually spoke to one of my friends, Bridie O'Gorman, who was a, a Wallaroos yeah. prop. I said to her, like, you know, what does that kind of look like or what would that feel like for you? Because she made this, she made a similar break in the Super W season just gone by. And she was like, it's our equivalent of like a hundred meter try when we do something like that. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> like, props are known for that, but when we do no. something really cool, it's equivalent to a hundred meter try. Yeah. I'm like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, the, was a, the, there was an the ridiculous shot. The Radicky Samo runaway tries is yes, like every four exactly. dreams you know, of. Jay. Like, so Franz Malherbe had that break, by the way. Franz Malherbe had more line breaks than Duhan Fandamerba, which everyone in the stadium reminded Duhan of all match. <laughs> oh, but Franz Malherbe breaks the line. It was a short pass. He like a beautiful line, ran through, and then he just didn't know what to do. And he could have run and scored. <laughs> I've, through, uh, I've never been in this position pass. before. Like, <laughs> I, I, like a rubbish shit pass, like the whole stadium grown. Skog Berger on the sidelines threw down his uh, microphone in disgust. No, but we could have run Oh, in. my gosh. 
so uh, no, Taniela Tupo has presence, like literally like Ty Furlong yeah. type presence. Like he understands how to distribute. You can see Taniela Tupo being used more he's as got, a pod, as a pod yeah. playmaker. Yeah, he's got he's got ah. skills both with a S at the end and a Z. He's like skills. <laughs> there was a there was actually there was actually a great end on shot where um, Tupo's in space and you can see Donaldson coming around you know, on the right-hand side, but Carter Gordon's on his inside, absolutely screaming for it, thinking, I am going to score under the post here. And then when the when the pass goes the other way, Gordon's look, first look was sort of like, oh. <laughs> like, that could have been me. That should have been me is what it looked like. <laughs> what what happens to so Carter good. Gordon's mullet? Anyone have any inside information? Sarah, do you know? It's been, I can only assume it's been left on the floor of a French barber somewhere. Did all the boys go out uh, for a hair salon date? Because Carter Gordon looked like a real good boy. He had, the bad boy was his gone. Mullet's gone. I noticed that straight uh, off the bat. I'm just, like, oh. I'm just writing down hair salon dates. <laughs> <laughs> French kiss cam. No. So, so Sarah, do you know if the boys have been going out a bit and having some fun, or they've been locked down training camp? In all honesty, I have no idea. But if I was going to speak from experience, they would have enjoyed that win first. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> then they have the day off and then they, they're going to get back into it. I'm like, that's the thing, right? Like, World Cup campaigns are, like, so much. Like, they're super long. But you've just – because you're in it, like, you're in that bubble the whole time, when you get that, like, you get two hours. I tell you what, you're taking your damn two hours. Yeah, yeah. I think in a – Particularly in the pool stage, it goes for a month. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. After a win, you've got to sit down and say, we've earned this beer that we're about to launch into. Like yeah. you are right now, Harry Jones. No, I had a Moscow meal. He's celebrating that. And now I've got an Evian. <laughs> yeah, he's drinking water right now, but our podcast listeners won't have seen that he is absolutely has finished the Corona whilst we've been talking here. <laughs> the things they don't see. And a Moscow mule, just so to be just to be fair. Yeah, oh, I just rubbing salt in the wound, mate. Rugby on the raw. Uh, so Fiji Wales, guys, uh, just uh, Wales Fiji, of course. Wales thirty-two, Fiji twenty-six. One of the games of the year already, and there's. I mean, there's a good chance that's going to be stand as the clubhouse leader for the game of the tournament for a good while. Uh, it all it could well have hung off the back of this moment right here. Masaki and Bunga. We're up to a dozen phases now. Wales defending tight. Fiji are going to give it some air. This is their DNA. This is their moment in its last forwards. Of all people, of all the players... Fiji wanted that pass to fall to. It would have been Semirandrandra. So what do we think? The moment of heartbreak. Semirandrandra has scored that try a hundred thousand times in real life and in his in his mind. The heartbreak says as, as he as that ball bounces off his chest. Oh, and the scenes of him just collapsing to the ground, yeah. like on his knees, like you've got to empathize and like feel that. I mean, we kind of spoke about it before we jumped on this that perhaps he kind of scored the try mentally before he actually caught the ball. And I know that there's yeah. so many ways that we're looking at it, like that was an overcooked pass and the yellow cards and the referee. Truth of the matter is, like, that is 
that is the pressure of World Cup yeah. is executing yeah. your skill under immense pressure and there's scoreboard pressure and there's an opportunity to close out the game and you're left with all this open field to score that try and mm. and it doesn't it doesn't come off. So it really, yeah. really hurts. It truly does hurt. But I think the narrative surrounding the Fijians was they're going to dominate. Look at their form. And to be fair, they've won yeah. all of their games here throughout PNC, their warm-up matches, the historic win against England. They lost that one against France. So, you know, everything was looking like a sure thing. To be fair, I feel like even I did it. I kind of rode Wales off. I didn't think mm. that they were going to deliver the goods. But I think similar to what Australia have done is that Wales are like, yeah, cool, we'll be the underdogs. Like you tip the yeah. other team, we'll deliver the goods. Yeah. And that's exactly what it came down to is that so much hype surrounding the Fijians that it's like, well, yeah. crap, all we have to do is deliver. And Wales are like, we know that yeah. you don't think we're going to win. And that became their superpower and they won the game. But yeah. holy heck, up. like I totally agree with you, Brett. I think that will be the game of at least the next four weeks. It will be. I think <laughs> for, for a good while. And, and Wales, <laughs> up until the moment where they lost – uh, they lost the loose head prop to the to the bin. Like they're leading 32-14. What's that? The 68th minute. So they they had that game covered up until that point. And then it just got away from them nearly quite so spectacularly. And so Harry was it was just an outstanding finish. But yeah, I mean pressure. Like that ball is coming <coughs> semi run Raj's way and he's got there is no one in front of me. <coughs> I've just got to catch this ball. I've just got to get it over the line. I've maybe just got to get it close to the post. And in that moment of all those thoughts, ball bounces off him and he's done. If, you, if you've ever played the game at any level, and especially if you played at a pretty high level, when your best player or one of your best players in the whole world ha- has it happened to him, you groan. You feel yeah. physical pain. You, you're not Even if you're the Welsh guy and you're escaping, you're actually not giggling at that you're actually thinking oh if that was me because yeah. like sarah says you, you plan it you know it's like literally craven week western province juniors i'm at the base of the scrum number eight i pick i've got my whole thing planned i'm gonna mow over the nine and smash over the wing and score and then i knock it on from the base i mm. will never ever ever forget that moment you just want to die and yeah, uh, it I- looked like that and and i think his only pathway is to get rid of uh vindication to, you know, like the next week is a is an opportunity. If you're a coach, you say, "Semi, my brother, look, yeah, you know, I want you to take it out on the Wallabies." So, I, um, yeah, I don't fancy being part of the wide defensive channels for the Wallabies next week because he's not going to bugger that up again. And he'll look that ball right into his mitts. It'll be like the slip with a yeah. wicketkeeper. Like I'm going to look it right in. Yeah. Uh, other other thing I would say, you know, I did that that, that table where I took all the teams, uh, the the eight contenders, and I had Fiji in there. And I said, or maybe it was 10, 10 teams, and I said, look at the World Cup experience. Look at World Cup knockout experience. The only one that's actually been an outlier is the French. who uh, All Blacks have not performed properly. Everyone else, you look at that, and Wales knows how to play in the they World do. Cup. And they you do. cannot just you cannot just throw Liam Williams out or George North out or Dan Bigger out and say, no, they don't know how to play. They know how to play even if their powers are waning. Even mm. if they're on the downside of their career, they still know how to win pressure matches. Yeah, yeah. It was telling in that moment that um, one of the first players that got to run Drajra was actually Liam Williams. Yes. The the Welsh fullback. And there was a moment, just the two of them, and it was like it was like Andrew Flintoff and Brett Lee after the 2005 Ashes mm. all over again. They were just both down in that moment. You, we talked about uh, Will Skelton giving his players a bit of a rocket. Um, Dan Bigger 
on half time didn't didn't miss, did he? <laughs> Just kicked the effing ball out <laughs> to the point where uh, Harry, yeah. we had I, I was Stan Sport was having the, had the world feed for that game, and it was Jamie Lyle, friend of the pod, uh, in commentary, and <laughs> and he in that great thick Scottish accent of his says, "Oh, there's some fruity language there." Yeah. <laughs> I love that fruity apologies, language. Apologies for that, <laughs> but he. Um, yeah, like big game player. Like Wales were very good. I think we need to say. Yeah, and I think uh, it's just it comes down to depth. So in the new in the in the in the heat and with the ball and play going up and um, actually less you know fewer breaks, it's actually yeah. counterintuitively making the depth of the squad even more important. So it's actually making yeah. the deep teams even better. So I think for Wales and Fiji, yeah. they probably were on the. I mean, bringing in Lavani Botia is pretty nice, but. I don't Off think the, the Welsh, beach, yeah. the Welsh didn't have very many, they didn't have big horses to bring in. So no. I think for Australia, it's the same. The Wallabies bench hasn't really performed up to the standards of the starting uh, team. So that's going to be, for me, I would say, hey, my finishers, this is your time. You know, yeah, you need absolutely. to put this game to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's whip around a couple of games. Uh, we've talked about France, France, New Zealand. Um, England, Argentina. England played a really smart tournament rugby game. And if there was a surprise out of that game, it's that Argentina did not look great at all. Ah, Argentina. <laughs> yeah. Is that great ah, reaction. Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> look, my focus was more so on England, right? Because yeah. they're big dogs, right, in world rugby. No one's hiding away from that. Their trot leading into this has been far from ideal in terms of their preparation. Yep. I didn't actually think they were going to do the job, but they were reduced mm. to 14 men. George Ford had an absolute clinic of a game. Yeah. And they were able to deliver. And so I think we kind of covered it extensively with um in, in the opener of the weekend is that come World Cup, you almost have to forget the form that you've had leading in because yes, it's, it's a fresh slate. And you're losing your point. losses. Your wins and your losses actually mean nothing because of the knockout nature of the tournament. So you can be the Australia and have you're heading to a World Cup with no wins under your belt. You come in, you clutch your first win. You can be England and everyone's riding you off even before you've set foot into France. And then you deliver a result like that against an Argentinian side that have been pretty freaking impressive, in my opinion, throughout this test season. So we've that to me was like. Whoa, didn't expect it. But highlighting the fact of like the, and Harry, you alluded to it earlier, the importance of the boot in this tournament is going to be critical. So you look at France and they've got Ramos who was able to kick so well. Donaldson has become that guy for us over this past weekend. Ford was that guy for England. (laughs) So it's just like, holy heck, forget everything that you thought that this World Cup is going Mm. to be because it's delivering the absolute opposite. And contrast, Buffelli missed a few, a couple early yeah. for Argentina as well. And if he kicks them, then yeah, all of a sudden momentum goes different ways. It's it's really post match. George Ford <laughs> admitted that, and I love this. He admitted that the the idea of kicking more drop goals in a game was was all it all came to him because at sort of end of training session, they're all kicking drop goals at the end like they do and they're trying to mimic moments. It was being pointed out to him by teammates that Danny Kerr had kicked more test drop goals than George Ford. And so he thought, 
probably should do something about that. And so <laughs> he, you don't like the kick, feeling of that? Kick three in ten minutes, and that solved that problem great. He hadn't kicked one since 2017, apparently. Wow. So there you go. Self- I, I, never I don't have my kicking license. <laughs> you don't want a paper license. We want to see it, says. We want to see it. Well, I've never, I've I'll send never you my physio when I pull my hammy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, actually, Brett has a good hamstring doctor for you. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've never, I've never now. understood why people knock a drop goal. So a drop goal is very difficult to construct. You have to have a safe rock. You have to get it's it deep enough inside of twenty-two. Skill. Usually, you've yeah. got to have everyone set up just right. You've got to fire yeah. it off, and then everyone knows you're going to do it. So you have people streaming at you, and then you're going to nail it from forty meters. One of the diffi- most difficult skills. And to me, the sight of a drop goal is beautiful. It's like a beautiful yeah. line-out. It's, it's part of what makes rugby unique. Not many other sports have this. And to me, those drop goals by George Ford were not bailouts. He actually was thinking, I'm going to get this over. And then he did it under pressure, yeah. which is what World Cup's all about. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's the, and it was the age-old tournament rugby adage. If, all right, yes. we're here. There's not much going on. Let's just take the three if we can. Boom. Yeah. There you go. Um, you were in... Uh, you were there in Marseille for South Africa and Scotland. And again, Scotland were a little bit disappointing. And I, and I don't say that to take away from what South Africa did very well. Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote your alter ego, Laidlaw. And Laidlaw said um, that the, the Scottish word running diagonally, which is uh, yeah. sometimes a good tactic in the Six Nations, but gets you nowhere against a very speedy team, uh, against uh, Arendsa, Creel, Colby, um, uh, Willem said, "There's just not a lot of space. Mm. You think there's, you think there's space? It's fool's gold. And the, the yeah. All Blacks and the Wallabies have learned that, and they've worked around it. I think the Scots were a little bit naive. They kept running up those channels, thinking, oh, look at us,' and then nothing would come. So you're better off actually, you know, playing territory, trying to get into the right areas, mm. and developing speed ball off of yeah. you know dr- drops and so forth. So I think that was one narrative. Other narratives: you had four years to prepare on your uh, set set piece." And that's all you came up with? Like, you, you have yeah. to be ready on your opening match. You've had the schedule for a long time. You know exactly yeah. what you're going to do. I think the line-out was a shamble. So you're not, you're not going anywhere if your set-piece is not solid. Look at how Fiji's set-piece has improved, for example. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Were you surprised at Scotland, Sarah? Look, I was actually shocked that they were able to stand it. Remembering at halftime, like, it was only 6-3. Mm. And then obviously in the second half, the game blew out. So I watched that game between Scotland and Georgia and I thought they were hugely impressive. And I thought, well, if this is an indication of what you're I think we all do, did. Mm. Yeah, like that was the way that they performed against Georgia was insane, particularly their resurgence in the second half. But South Africa, like they are they are heavyweights in yeah. this in this in this tournament and they're defending a title. Their bodies are freaking bricks <laughs> so i thought realistically and like to that point of you saying like scotland running diagonally rather than just trying to take it off the guts is they'll exploit you in that way yeah. so i think like in terms of the game plan and just trying to like to take on the physical challenge by your middles being able to own that space i think scotland fell short of that and that's potentially not potentially i think that's the reason why they lost in that second yeah, half because the, power of the south africans in the second half was just too much for them to contain yeah, absolutely. I love that we've gone nearly 40 minutes and we actually haven't talked about refereeing at all, but I want to ask this one question. Does oh. the head clash tackle, is that going to be the in-tournament adjustment around interpretation? As to remember, remember in 2019, there was yellow cards for just about anything, it seemed, and then suddenly after about the third weekend, they went, 
hang on a minute, we need to rein this back a bit, and they adjusted. I wonder if this is the thing that they go, all right, we actually need to work out how we're going to rule these because already we've seen some differences in the way these tackles are being seen. I, I kind of do agree with the trainer thought that Tom Curry was a little bit unlucky to get red card, particularly then when some weren't penal or some were penalised but weren't even yellows. And I don't know what you guys think, but this to me feels like it's sort of the early flashpoint of the tournament. Harry, you go first. Well, I think, I, so to me, to, to help referees, and again, I don't, I don't say referees' names unless they're on the pod because I don't want to make them more famous than they are. But um, it, I think it's all in a setup. I would, as a referee, I'd say, what is the setup? I'm getting into the defensive line. I know I'm going to have some kind of contact with somebody in the next two seconds. Yeah. Am I set up in a way that's a rugby play, or am I standing too tall? And I know that the, that the you know defensive coaches want you to stay tall to the final instant. They want to choke tackle if you can. They want to, they want to prevent the offload. So there's a lot of, you know, Sean Edwards in your ear saying stay high yeah. until the final, and then you dip. But I think also you, you can lower yourself in a way that the referee can see you tried, and then you, and then you tackle what you see. You know, you keep your stuff up, and you look at things you hit. And mm. I think uh, – so I think that would be where I would tell – if I was uh, the head of referees, I'd say let's look at that. Let's not say because yeah. head's touched, we have to find a card. I would say – what was the guy doing and where was he and how was he postured? And then, yeah. and, then I'll, and then I'll punish him if he was just running in with his head high, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it certainly feels like, Sarah, that they're working. They get straight away going, right, there's head contact, therefore it's foul play. And then they go to the point of mitigation. And maybe to your point, Harry, they're not quite looking at that enough. I think, like, I totally agree with Harry is that we're just looking at the head-on-head -head collision, but we're not yeah. actually looking at the body coming into the contact zone. Yeah. And I can tell you that we are, as players, we're getting absolutely torn to pieces at training in terms of, like, our body height into the contact zone and more so under fatigue. Yeah. Speaking from World Cup experience, we experienced, I think, three yellow cards, and then towards the end of our tournament, we lost Ash Masters, which was a huge yeah. loss for us. It's a similar so, tackle, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. A very similar tackle. But that's the thing is that they just see the head on head. And then when you take it, when you like play it back and you do it in slow-mo, you're like, well, I did have a dip. And then mm -hmm. there's so many intricacies, right, to where your body fully ends up in a tackle. But I think that while you can't measure intent and there's a lot of words thrown at like, oh, but what was their intent? Of course the player's yeah. intent is not to hit the head, but you need to look at their body position coming into it and then make yeah. a decision based off that, not just yeah. the end result. Yeah, and that's a really good point. It is a really good point. Uh, Australia Fiji this weekend, just to, to sort of put a, a pin in that, and, and we'll come back to it, I'm sure. Um, Australia Fiji this weekend is going to be a cracking game. It's it, it has to be treated as a knockout game for Fiji, particularly. But Australia, Harry, I think, have to keep running along those lines that they just have to keep winning everything now because they win a win over Fiji this weekend just about guarantees they get through. Fiji, on the other hand. They have to win this weekend to stay alive. Yeah. No, I, I think it. I think it definitely is a knockout match for both, in all intents and purposes. And I believe the coaching groups will say that to their players. Yeah. Uh, I would say this. We just talked about cards. I would say cards are probably going to be a big thing. Now, let's it's also say something here. Point. Just people saying, "Ah, red card, game's over." No, it's not. Look at England, and no. and it's every every study has shown it's worth about uh, half a point for ten minutes per you know for a card. So it's not over, but I would say Australia cannot afford to do what it's been doing almost every single match, which yeah. is 12 penalties and one card. No, cannot no. do that. When you give Fijian space, look how comfortable they are. From man one to 15. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. Sarah, what do you think the Wallabies will be working on this week, particularly around adjustments and things? I think to your point earlier, defence in the wide channels. Yeah. That'll yeah. be a huge, a huge opportunity, I think, for Fiji is because mm. but then that being said, like we also see them breaking the field in the middle. So <laughs> I think defense will be yeah. The most important thing. Attack, like everyone thrives when you have possession. Everyone knows your structure and how to do the fancy yeah. stuff. But it's what it's the work when you don't have the ball that's going to be the difference yeah. for a few finishes. And under fatigue. Yeah, uh, and exactly. Under fatigue, like you say. A question for you, current player in the Australian system. Can you tell me what is happening with the wide defensive positionings and why we've seen wingers defending a long way in, often in the 12 and 13, 13 and 12 channels sometimes, and why they seem to be being caught out on outside edge line breaks. Do you, do you know what's going on there? Look, I'm going to have a crack because I'm a lock and I, I sit in the middle. So <laughs> I don't know what the hell's happening outside of these channels, right? But I actually did see this because we saw in that end. You're strictly post to post. I'm strictly like both ones, between the um, But no, I, um, I actually asked this question to one of our coaches because we saw in that game against France, Wallabies were shooting up and then there was that huge space like from that pretty much that 12, yeah. 13 channel to the wing there was no one there. And all I was told is that would have been an instruction. Of, an there's instruction no doubt. To, but the thing is, like, if you shoot, you need to kill. If you don't kill, you put everything under pressure and that's hopefully when you see your fullback come in and be the last defender. So yeah. the shooting would have to be an instruction, but then the yeah. other part of that has to be the player's decision-making. If they're shooting up, in which we saw Jordan Pataya do a few times in that warm-up match against France, it's because he believes he's going to kill it. But then yeah. he didn't, and then they made mad games down the sideline. Yeah. So that is my second roller attempt at trying to answer a wide defensive channel question. Brilliant. Well done. Honestly, it's the best policy, right, Fab? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it's the, look, Harry, it's, you look it's, disappointed it's, in my response. It's genuinely the What's best response. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's it's you know it's a lot it's a lot like when the block defense changed and it was in 2018 and, and Makazoli Mapimpi had to suddenly play like a four like a thirteen. So fourteen was now the new thirteen where you had to make decisions in a split second. Mm. And he made everything horribly wrong and it, it had lost the pool match to the to the All Blacks. And by the end of the tournament, he was reading those correctly. Mm. I actually think my theory, Brett, is that the Wallabies are betting in that sort of system where the wingers bite in and up in an umbrella, inverse umbrella. Yeah. Um, but it's such a difficult skill, like Sarah says, because you have to be right. And yeah. you're like all alone. You're lonely when you make it wrong. And um, so that's and, why I would I'd yeah. bring Andrew Kellaway back into the mix, by the way, because I think he makes those decisions that's, very well. That's exactly and what I was going to say. It's not just yeah. all about attack. He understands space really well, and he understands who's next to him. And, and I think he gives instructions well. Uh, yeah. There's no way I think some of those guys that are so young in that position – could tell someone else what to do, but I think Andrew Kellaway, as a former captain, would be able to say, you know, move left, right, up, down, bite. It's yeah. a it's a risky system at the best of times, but when you've got an absolute rookie fullback, it's even more so. So yeah, yeah. Um, a last one before we before we let you go, Sarah. Um, how does it play out this weekend against Fiji, and, and what sort of difference? does confidence do for the Wallabies this week? What's going to happen this weekend? Look, I am, I play for Australia as well. I am backing the Aussies to get the job done. And 
I know that it's going to rub my Fijian family the wrong way. <laughs> and and, this is, and this is why we got you on this week. <laughs> Thank you so much. Australian-born Fiji. This place under a lot of criticism because of her views against the game you speak in. No, um, but in all seriousness, I think <laughs> I think Australia is going to get the job done. I think it's um, it'll be a statement for them to do yeah. so, and I yeah. think they certainly need that if they want to go deep into this competition. The Fijians, though, they are hurting right now so don't underestimate a side who came so close yet fell short and as we've all alluded to they kind of need to win this game in order to stay alive in this tournament so the stakes are high the stakes completely high but i think what australia needs to do is defensively if they can nail that and then their finishers can come on and make sure that regardless of what of where the game's at can continue that work defensively they will be able to kick fiji out of it and once you starve the fijians of possession well, it's a fair game for all. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Look, it has been so great to talk to you. We're so glad we could uh, we could make it work and get planets to align. I know you've got a hugely busy schedule at the moment. Thanks so much for finding some time for us. Keep going there with Nine and, and Stan. You're killing it uh, in the studio there with Nick McArdle and co. Um, and in, enjoy the rest of the tournament and get some sleep while you can during the week. Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. But, uh, yes, I'll know that when I'm up early, so is Brett and Harry. I'm, Harry, I'm probably enjoying Harry. an apple spritz. Me and you, yeah. Brett, we're just on V's and up. Yeah. snacks at 3 o'clock in the morning. Second or third oh, coffee and uh, still in my pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. It was great to talk to you, gents. I'll see you guys later. Good on you. You're Thank the best, you. Sarah. Thanks. See ya. The Roar. Oh, Harry, how good. Sarah Nagama. Just, she is absolutely killing it in the studios. She, uh, her... Her honesty and her um, knowledge, and the way she describes things so articulately—it's—it's um, it's so just so great to have her uh, to see her on board. She does such a, a great job. So, and that was a great chat. I really enjoyed that. Uh, she's great, and I also think she's not really fallen into the corporate speak yet or the guarded, yeah. you know, responses. I think we get the real stuff. Yeah, yeah, great. No, we, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, Week two games coming up in Rugby World Cup this weekend. It actually kicks off uh, well Friday morning Australian time, Thursday in France. France play uh, Uruguay, first of all. Uh, Then on Friday, we go to New Zealand, Namibia. And then on Saturday, we go to Samoa, Chile, Wales, Portugal, uh, and then Ireland, Tonga. Um, On Sunday in France, it's South Africa, Romania, Australia, Fiji, that's at 1.45 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And England, Japan uh, finishes off the tournament or the second round, the second weekend of the tournament um, at, uh, on well, it's, yeah, late Sunday night on that. Um, any of those? I mean, Australia, Fiji, we've touched on. Which of those other games are you looking forward to? Well, I'm going to be attending the Romanian Bach game and I'm going to go to uh, Ireland, Tonga. So I'm trying to focus nice. on Pool B, uh, obviously. And uh, I'm looking forward to those. I'm actually looking forward to see Ireland live against a very physical Tonga team to see how that works out. As you know, I've, I've divided the teams into ruck builders and ruck destroyers. Ireland is mm-hmm. the prince of, of ruck dis- uh, construction. And I want to see how that holds up in maybe a hot, humid environment with Tongans bearing down on you hard. And, and in the, for the rest of the matches, they should be you know pretty predictable except for the big one, which is uh fiji versus uh australia yeah. I mean, that yeah. that to me and I, I would say i'm probably going to go I, I want australia to win i i want them to win handsomely and well 
I actually think it's going to come down to final five minutes again oh, because I agree. don't I don't see any quit in the Fiji team, and I think Australia yeah. does have inexperience in the kicking game, yeah. which sometimes can put you in the hole. Yeah, I think that's this game has got losing bonus point written all over it for mm. either side. Like it's going to be really really close. I've got no doubt about that. Um, a little bit of news over the last seven days, mate, and particularly over the last weekend, over the last two days, realistically. Uh, World Rugby said in a statement that England's Tom Curry will appear before an independent judicial committee in Paris, having received a red card following a review by the foul play review officer in England's Pool D match against Argentina in Marseille uh, for an offence contrary to law 913, which is dangerous tackles. And the key part is, at the player's request, the hearing will take place on Tuesday evening, 12th of September. Now, I, my read on that is that he's fighting this charge. So they must think they've got a degree of mitigation that wasn't considered. Bring in the QCs. Yes, yes. The Lawyer World Cup starts, doesn't it? Uh, Tate McDermott will certainly miss uh, Australia's crunch game against Fiji. Um, he was rated a grade one concussion, so he's automatically out for 12 days um, and so should be back. If no further um, further symptoms, he should be back for, for Wales in a fortnight. Um, World Rugby had to la- or have launched an investigation after the England-Argentina match in Marseille. It actually began, began with a number of fans still outside the stadium. There was delays in getting into the Star de Velodrome. Um, the World Rugby statement said that they were aware of delays being experienced by fans uh, and that, um, you know, whilst fans were able to take their seats, fan experience is paramount, blah, 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 blah. Short of it is, they're looking into it. There must have been a gate closed or something. When you are scrumming with a man with a bare arse, they let you through immediately. So that's my <laughs> advice to get into stadiums quicker. Follow Scott's. Follow Scott's in, in, uh, in, in, in kilts. Um, and lastly, mate, France have actually had a little bit of rare good news on the injury front with Jonathan Dunty uh, poised to return maybe as soon as next wow. week. The Le Bleu said over the weekend that Dante had been training and could have been could have played against New Zealand, but they decided in the end to mm-hmm. leave him out, and he will absolutely be in contention for for Uruguay on Thursday night. So that'll be Good. a huge a huge inclusion for them. Um, Rugby World Cup coverage is absolutely got you. We have got you covered on the raw throughout the tournament. Um, Harry and I will be here midweek every week, having great conversations with the host of. Wonderful guests, as we have been doing. As of next week, we'll revert to a Wednesday release uh, with most of the Wallabies pool games happening Monday mornings. There's instant reactions for every Wallabies game, plus knockout games uh, all the way through to the final. Uh, you probably have already seen uh, Tony Harper and Christy Doran reporting in from France uh, across, leading into every weekend, and they even did one uh, post-Wales Fiji, which you joined them, didn't you? I did. I was bleary-eyed and incoherent. So hopefully, <laughs> you, I think you had said something along the lines of you were already eight or nine deep. So <laughs> you were you were Ooh. doing you were doing pretty well. So uh, look, you know, check the raw site and socials, and make sure you have subscribed to the podcast to to make sure you get all of that. And then there's a little bit of a bonus, mate. We're doing our little eight nine combo thing. We think we've got Twitter spaces worked out. 
and so that's you know, just fine. Keep an I like it. Yeah. yeah, it looked it actually worked pretty well um, after the the couple of games that we did. Once it recorded, once it didn't. So just keep an eye out on our twitters um, at Harabody Jones and at BMC Sport. But mate, I think that is us done for episode seventy nine of the Raw Rugby Podcast, powered by Asics. Don't forget, Harry and I are both on the socials, and that includes Insta and now Threads and whatever is left of uh, of Twitter as well. Um, please do leave ratings and reviews if your pod platforms allows it. Another couple that have come in over the last few days, which we'll read next week. And again, do like, follow, subscribe, and make sure you get every new episode as soon as it goes live onto your pod platform of choice. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the theraw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, a home of all your favourite Rugby World Cup analysis, opinions, and conversations. Uh, it's all thanks to ASICS, the official performance apparel and footwear partner of the Wallabies. Thanks for listening. We're back in your ears in the early hours of Monday morning Australian time with an instant reaction to the Wallabies' second match of Rugby World Cup 23 when they take on Fiji in San Etienne. Come play with us.